Hello, my name is Mr. Tom Froze, and these are my thoughts on illustration. I'm a commercial, editorial, and kids book illustrator working for clients like Airbnb, Amazon, and The Wall Street Journal. I'm also a top teacher on Skillshare, where I've helped hundreds of thousands of students discover their unique artistic voice and break into the world of illustration. I'm also a late-blooming creative, recovering designer, and lifelong self-doubter who has somehow been able to keep showing up and growing up as an illustrator, and in this podcast, I want to help you do the same. Welcome to episode 18. So today, we're going to talk about ways to alleviate stress as an illustrator. When our job is to come up with creative work for paying clients on a deadline, making art can be a very stressful experience. Somehow, we have to find a way to do our job, deliver on our clients' expectations, and get up the next morning with enough fuel in the tank to do it all over again. Now, as artists, there is no shortage of ways to experience anxiety in our line of work, whether we're feeling the pressure from the outside or more from the inside from things like negative self-talk, self-doubt, perfectionism, and those kinds of things. Especially as beginners, we're likely to experience a lot of anxiety around performing and pleasing our clients. At the earlier stages of our career, we're still trying to prove ourselves to our clients while we haven't even proven ourselves to ourselves yet. In this part of our experience, we're going to find ourselves lost in the process of figuring things out while the clock ticks away toward the deadline. Now, I'm happy to say that as we gain experience, we learn what we need to do to get the job done. And hopefully that means we know how to plan for this. We learn how to plan our projects more strategically to make sure we give ourselves enough time to do those things. But still, even with experience, I'm sad to say we're still going to experience stress and anxiety. Even with experience and careful planning, our creative work doesn't always come together exactly as we planned. This is just the nature of the creative process. No matter how much of a system we have in place, it doesn't always work in every situation without a hitch. So the question is, how do we navigate the stress that comes when we're trying to be creative on a deadline? And how can we keep a pace that ultimately doesn't burn us out. In this episode, I'm going to share eight ways that I alleviate stress in my own work, which I hope can help you do the same in yours. But first, I just want to take a moment to thank you for being here. I especially want to thank my supporters on Patreon who truly help make this podcast possible. But whether you're a patron, a longtime listener, or joining us for the first time, you are welcome here. If you like what you hear in today's episode, the single best way to help the podcast grow is to share it with your friends and followers. You should know that when I see you sharing the podcast, say in stories on Instagram, this is a huge encouragement to me. Of course, it also helps if you follow, rate, and review wherever you happen to be listening from. If you're a fan of Thoughts on Illustration, please consider supporting me on Patreon. Consider joining as a drawing buddy where you can get exclusive access to my live monthly drawing meetups, exclusive podcast content, and more. Join today at patreon.com slash tomfroze. So let me tell you a story about the first time that I got paid to do creative work. As a creative, 
at this point in my life, there have been way more times than I can possibly remember that I've been stressed out and totally anxious. You know, I think that's probably three quarters of my existence as an artist. But this one time stands out in particular, perhaps because it was my first time getting paid as a creative. And the anxiety I felt in this instance was intense. So long before I was an illustrator, before I was a designer, I was a technician at a small tech company. At that time, I was really into photography as a hobby. This was just a little side thing that I enjoyed just for myself. Never got paid for it, but my boss knew that this was one of my interests. And when his dad was about to have his 80th birthday party, this was like a really big family event, family kind of reunion thing. He offered to pay me to be the photographer. He asked if I wanted to be the guy taking the pictures and he offered to pay me. It was $200, which in that time, it was like the early 2000s. I had never been paid to do anything creative before. $200 was a lot of money to me, just like in general and as an amount to be paid to do something that I thought was just a hobby. So of course I said yes. I showed up at the birthday event in a big, baggy, badly tailored suit and suddenly realized I had a problem. I knew how to use a camera and I technically knew how to use the flash and some of the gear that I'd rented specifically for this event to look like a pro, but I had no idea how to be an event photographer. I had no skills in terms of engaging people and getting them to look at the camera even how to like light an indoor space. The party was in a church basement. It was brown and beige and it had really bad fluorescent lighting. The photos didn't turn out very well at all. Now, I think at this point, I probably pushed out most of the photos out of my memory because they were just legitimately not that great. But the one that I remember taking and the one that's kind of burned into my memory was the big group shot. This is the one that had to count because this is the one that says everybody got together for this event we're all there here's the photo so you know the shot it's all the people at the event in rows standing up somewhere outside that was i think the last photo that i had to take before packing up and going home i looked at the photo that i had taken on my computer it was it just wasn't good it was rainy and cloudy outside so it was kind of a dim day we had to take the photo under an awning, like under this covered part of the driveway of this church where the event was. And so it wasn't well lit. And of course I did have my flash, but I didn't know how to use it properly or how to cast the light in such a way that it actually fell on the people in an even way. And so anyone who was wearing glasses in that photo had reflections coming off them. You couldn't see their eyes. And this is, I guess, basic stuff if you're an actual photographer and you're used to shooting crowds inside and outside and stuff like that. Either way, I had to give the photos that I took to my boss. I had to hand over the little SD card and I just knew what whatever was on that card, those were the photos from the event and they were relying on me. And I just kind of like, I didn't come away feeling excited about having gotten to take photos for payment. That should have been exciting, but all I could think about was how much I'd probably disappointed my boss. Anyway, I had to actually fly out the next day. My sister was getting married halfway across the country. So on that plane, 
I remember just sitting there totally stressing out about how bad the photos were and about how much of a waste of money my boss must have felt it was to hire me. Ultimately, I just felt like a total fraud. So for much of that trip, which should have been a very joyous occasion, my sister's wedding, I really just kept thinking over and over again about how much of a bad job I did. I was ruminating and kicking myself. It was awful. Now, today, I wish I could go back and tell myself, you know what, young Tom, it's okay. This was your first time ever doing anything like this. You gave it a try, and so what if you didn't do a great job? You did your best. You're really just being too hard on yourself. You really can't start out knowing everything there is to something like group photography until you actually just go out and start doing it. You kind of just have to start out being bad at first, and that's how you learn. But I might also go back a little bit before that, just before I actually had the gig in the first place, and I would warn myself, maybe do a little bit more research before you get started. Maybe think about what do you have to do when you take photos at an event. At an event, Of course, it's nice to think that now, and hindsight is twenty twenty. The truth is, I simply didn't know what I didn't know. So if I knew that I had to even ask those questions, I probably would have. I was pretty curious. I wasn't lazy or anything. I think if I if I realized that there was more to taking photos at, a, at an event than knowing what an f-stop and a shutter speed and ISO and all those kinds of things were, then I would have done my best to know those things. But my point here is that Especially at the beginning, we're going to feel a lot of pressure to perform. And very often, we're going to feel the pressure of time. And we're going to have doubts putting pressure on us from the inside. And we're going to have expectations from our clients putting pressure on us from the outside. Now, the story that I just gave you, of course, is me trying to be a photographer. And this is an illustration podcast. But the story really does apply to anyone starting out in any creative job because we all feel that pressure to not disappoint our client. And of course, we're just not going to have a lot of confidence around doing what we do when we don't have a lot of experience. But this doesn't just apply to beginners. This applies to people at every stage of the creative industry because anytime we're trying to level up from where we are, we're going to feel that crunch, we're going to feel that pressure, and we're going to feel that stress. And almost every time we're doing a job, even if we've done that kind of job before a thousand times, we're going to feel some kind of stress because nothing ever goes exactly the way we hope. So the tips I'm about to give you are partly going to be about adopting a more gracious mindset for ourselves and just letting some of these harder, often awkward parts of the learning process just be what they are. And then some of the tips will be more strategic and preemptive so that if you put them in place, you can actually alleviate stress and sometimes even totally avoid it altogether. All right, so let's get into the tips. The first tip is to accept stress as a given, especially at first. So the reality of being a creative is that it's stressful just in and of itself. Every time we step up to a new job, we're doing something new. And especially as you begin, everything's new and it's scary doing new things. If we care about what we're doing, we're going to feel 
that stress. We're going to feel the weight of our responsibility to make good on what we said we would do and what we're being paid to do. Now, stress on its own isn't the enemy. I would say it's a natural survival response. It's just part of the spectrum of emotions that we feel as humans. And to be clear, stress doesn't mean that you're broken or a failure or that you're in the process of failing. It's just a feeling we get when we care about something enough that we fear maybe we'll mess it up. Accepting stress as a given is important here. I wanted to include this because acceptance is everything. It, it makes sure that we can expect it. And if we're expecting it, we won't be caught off guard. And of course, if we're expecting it, we can start to think about how we'll manage it when it comes. And that's what all the other tips today are about. It's about knowing how to manage stress as it comes. So the second tip here is to give yourself permission to fail sometimes. The truth of the matter here is that being a beginner means being bad at first. It doesn't mean that you're going to be bad every time or that you're going to be horrible. Obviously, if you're artistic and you're starting to show up as an illustrator and you're practicing and as you start getting clients and some attention, that's proof that you're not terrible. It just means that you're inexperienced. And with that inexperience comes a learning process that involves failure. And it's not just beginners that fail or make mistakes. Even pros make mistakes. Because let's be honest, creative work isn't a science, and sometimes we just get in our heads, things don't align the way we want, we might panic, we might make bad decisions, we might procrastinate and leave things to the last minute. Everybody makes mistakes, everybody fails, but I think the most important thing to remember is to not be so hard on ourselves. As long as we own our failures, our mistakes, and we learn from them, that's really all we can do. Everybody makes mistakes. I think it's more about what you do once you realize you've made your mistake. I would say, and this is what I do for myself, is I look at my intentions and my actions and not just the results. So if I'm feeling badly about how an illustration turned out, sure, I got paid, but I don't think it's like my best work. I can still feel good because I showed up and I knew that I tried and I knew that I gave it my best shot. Not everything I make is going to be my absolute favorite. Of course, there are times when I know that I failed in just trying. Maybe I didn't give it my best shot. Maybe I took things for granted. The important thing here, again, is just to turn things around as soon as you realize what's happening. I think we all go through seasons in our careers when we start to take things for granted or we start to think that we've got it all. We rest on our laurels, so to speak. I remember watching a show with my wife a, a few years ago. It was called Hotel Hell with celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay. What I remember is the premise of this show is that these are like little independent hotels or bed and breakfasts, and they're not very well run. They're kind of shipwrecks or train wrecks. And Gordon Ramsay, this celebrity chef, he's kind of like a badass and he's, he's kind of mean and strict, but he's supposed to like whip people into shape through tough love kind of thing. He comes in to these different hotels where they're really failing and he coaches them in his tough kind of way to get better. Some of the hoteliers that he works with actually improve. They turn things around in their hotels. 
are improved, they're revived, they're saved. But I remember this one hotel, it was run by these two men. These guys were just not in it for the work. They were cutting corners, they were kind of slackers. They really fell short of treating their guests in a special way. They had crappy customer service. I don't even know why they were in the business. They just didn't seem to have any passion for it. And Gordon Ramsay wasn't having any of it. He really just called them on their BS. Well, it, it was hard to watch just because it was cringy, but there was something inside of me that also felt like Gordon Ramsay was yelling at me and trying to whip me into shape. These guys had lost sight of who they were as hoteliers, as customer servants, as people who needed to make their guests feel at home while they were away from home. And instead of reaching out and making sure they had everything they needed and that everything was clean and tidy and that they had a good experience, they really just tried to cover things up and, you know, move a plant so that it covered a stain, flipped a mattress, all that kind of stuff. Super gross. But I felt kind of convicted. I felt like I was these hoteliers in the illustration world. Like I I had started to take my clients for granted. I was starting to get a little bit entitled feeling, say, when clients would come back with feedback and ask for changes. My attitude was like, no, I solved the problem. If you want me to make these changes, you're going to have to pay me more, stuff like that. Like, I thought I was just being a shrewd businessman, but after watching Hotel Hell with these two clowns who purportedly ran a hotel, I felt like... I really needed to get back in touch with serving my clients. I had become a little bit of a prima donna, a little bit too strict about all the rules of, you know, what's fair and not fair where it comes to revisions and asking for more outside of scope and stuff like that. And I totally forgot about the human relationship part of my job. Now, I might be letting you guys in too much on my own quirks as a human. I, I tend to get a little bit bound up in rules sometimes, but... This was an important moment for me. This was a number of years ago, but it was a time when I realized I need to be a better customer servant. Now, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about failure. I failed, or I felt I failed as a customer servant. And right away, I resolved to turn things around. I felt that conviction and I let it push me into doing something good. I didn't just sit there and despair or feel really bad about myself. I knew that I had to do something about it or else my business would fail and I wouldn't feel very good about myself either. Now, this is an instance where I think that I needed to be called out, at least in my own little way here through the TV, through Gordon Ramsay. But unlike this time, very often we have higher standards for ourselves than we can ever offer, kind of the opposite of this story. We think that our clients are always going to be sort of like this Gordon Ramsay character holding up a ruler and measuring us and making sure that we're dancing when he says dance and measuring up in all the right ways. But most of the time, the Gordon Ramsay is inside of us. We think others are putting that pressure on us, but it's we ourselves putting that pressure on us from the inside. Now, we're talking about stress in this episode, and I think that we can get stressed out by the fear of possible failure or the fear that we have already failed. 
both of those things can make us feel stressed out, anxious, and prevent us from really enjoying our work. But if we can have a more gracious attitude about failure and accept ourselves as imperfect, it does take some of the edge off and and it makes us less stressed out. So we're going to fail sometimes. Sometimes it's our fault and sometimes it's not. But we got to give ourselves permission to fail. That will open up the way to help us make things better the next time. All right, the third tip is to set realistic timelines with enough time to get lost. So this is a little bit more strategic. This is about knowing what we need to do to get our jobs done. When we don't have experience, we really just don't know how long things take. So first of all, if you're a beginner, as much as possible, give yourself as long of a deadline as possible with your client when talking about when things are due, because you're going to need more time to figure things out. You're going to need more time to figure out how you come up with ideas, and you're going to need to figure out how you turn those ideas into fleshed out, beautiful, final illustrations. Sometimes it's going to take you a little bit of time to make something great, and sometimes it's going to take you a lot longer to do it. Without any experience, you really don't know what the markers are for one one or the other of those kinds of situations. Now, one thing that I've known about myself almost the whole time that I've been working as an illustrator and designer is that I just take a long time to get my work done. I know that I do good work, but I also know that I need time to do it. So I'm not doing anyone any favors if I try to rush it. So even if a dream project comes in, but it's only like, a day or two turnaround, or even just a week, that's usually too tight for me. It's going to stress me out. I'm just going to be afraid the whole time that I'm going to botch it. So for me, my comfort zone is anything beyond two weeks. My goal from the very beginning as a freelancer was never to take on any work with a turnaround under two weeks. Occasionally, I break that if if it pays well or if it feels like there's a clearing or if I'm feeling a little bit more risky, like I want to take some risks, I'm feeling spunky. But for the most part, I just don't take on any project that doesn't give me two weeks or more to get the job done. And it's not just the one project that I'm concerned about performing on, because the truth is I usually have multiple projects at the same time. So I'm actually already taking less than two weeks per project when you divide it up across all the projects that I'm working on at a given time. Like I've talked about this today and I've talked about it before, my process just involves a lot of getting lost and spinning my tires and sometimes freaking out. And because I know this about myself, I plan it into my timelines as much as possible. The takeaway here is that if a deadline is too short, you can always ask if there's wiggle room in the schedule because there almost always is. Again, I I talk at length about being a slow worker in episode 14, That's the one called Good News for Slow Workers. It's got a cute little panda bear on its back and the episode art. So if you want to learn more about my thoughts on being a slow worker, this has been such an issue for me. I dedicated a whole episode to it. Either way, it's up to you. It's your business and your schedule as a freelancer. So don't be afraid to ask for as much time as you need when setting up the project schedule, especially if you know the quality of your work is going to be better because you had more time to do it. So whether you like fast turnarounds or you prefer to have 
much more comfortable spaced out timelines, you have a choice of which jobs you take on. Not all illustration jobs are going to be crazy and aggressive in their timelines, unless perhaps you want to be an editorial illustrator and only focus on that, then you're probably going to be spinning out a lot of fast paced work. But there's all kinds of illustration jobs, all kinds of different clients to work with outside of that, that quite frankly, offer much more realistic and generous timelines. I've just chosen to focus on that in my own work. And it's pretty much been a good strategy for me. So set realistic timelines with enough time to get lost because when you give yourself just that extra time to do what you need to do, you're of course going to alleviate a lot of the stress that comes around working under a deadline. So the fourth tip is don't try to read the client's mind. So very often a client will contact you and ask you to illustrate something, but they won't tell you all the information you need. Now, if you're a, a beginner at this, if you haven't worked with a lot of clients, you may not be able to spot this right away. Or maybe you think that all clients know exactly all the information they can possibly know and they've given that all to you to start with and everything else that they haven't told you, you have to figure out on your own. And that's just not the case. One of our jobs as illustrators or designers or anyone working or making art for someone else is to make sure we understand what we're actually supposed to be making for them. And of course, we learn all this stuff through the briefing process. The brief, of course, is a series of basic questions that outline things like what does the client want you to illustrate and why and what's the message and where are the illustrations supposed to go and how big are they and how many illustrations are you going to be making? And even questions like, why are they coming to you specifically? Like, what is it about your style or your work that made you perfect for the job? There's all kinds of important questions that we should be asking at the beginning of a project. And I will leave a link to at least one example in the episode notes, just to give you a start on that if you're new to writing client briefs. But what a brief does is it tells you what your job is. And most importantly, it gives the client an opportunity to think about and to tell you exactly what they want as much as possible. A brief doesn't mean that they're telling you exactly how to illustrate or what to include in the illustration, but it at very least gives you a sense of what the problem is that you're supposed to be solving. And they give you any resources that you're going to need to understand their world or their subject. You know, just as a very easy example, if you're illustrating for a magazine article, you're going to want that article and you're going to want the headline if it's already been written, because usually the headline itself has something, some kind of clue about what the illustration might look like. So asking questions up front is one thing, but what if you're like well into a, a project you didn't ask the right questions, and now you feel like there's some missing information, you are allowed to go back to your client and ask for that information. Even if you're like weeks in, if you need the information, better to ask late in the process rather than not at all. I have to do this sometimes because the question never occurred to me until I started actually working on a particular part of the project or the illustration. And so I'll just write and say, you know, it just occurred to me that you never told me, and this is just a, an example, 
you told me you wanted a crowd in this scene here, but I just wanted to know if there's a particular amount of people that represents a crowd to you. Is it 15 people, 10 people, maybe five? If you think that the client might have a specific idea about something and you don't know how to approach that, it's okay to go and ask what they mean by something. And again, clients won't always tell you everything there is to know because they just didn't think about it. Ultimately, illustrators, if they're good at their job, eventually learn to ask more specific questions so they have less guesswork to do later on in the process. Now, this is an actual example from recent times. About, I'm going to say over half a year ago, maybe even like eight months ago, a client came to me wanting me to illustrate a a map. It was going to go in this like downtown area of a city. They were really excited about my maps and they wanted something like that downtown. And of course, I thought that's such a cool project. Of course, let's go for it. As we started going down the process, we were only in the briefing process. I had said, like, what are the points of interest that you need featured on this map? Like, what are the little icons going to be about? It's their project. It's their initiative. I don't know why they want me to make a map of downtown specifically What are those points that are important to this downtown business association? When they came back to me with a list, it was very clear to me that they they actually didn't know what to include at all. They gave a sort of loose assortment of, of points of interest that I looked at and I thought, these don't even tell a story. Some of these are just parking lots with like a, a, like a chain grocery store. I need to go back and and ask deeper, like, what is the story they're trying to tell with the map? And so we went back and forth about this, basically concluding that they thought that I was going to come up with what was important enough to include in the map. But that isn't my job. My job isn't to know what's important to them. They have to know that for themselves. And so the project has been sitting with them for months as they come up with this list. I don't know if they'll ever get back to me. But I know that if I had started actually trying to come up with ideas and sketches and getting way down in the process, they would start to have opinions about what was important to them uh, once they started seeing it. And it probably would end up in a lot more back and forth and wasting everybody's time. So this is just a skill that I've learned over time is to make sure that I ask questions and that I feel out, do they know what they need? Have they given me all the information I need to do my job? What is my job? What isn't my job? My job certainly wasn't to come up with the purpose for this map. That's on them. Then my job as the illustrator is to make art that they love that fulfills their purpose. So if a project comes to you and you don't have everything you need in place, don't try to read their minds and don't be afraid to ask clarifying questions. It's for their good as much as it is yours. You know, chances are they're going to be very thankful that you're thinking about the project this deeply and you cared enough to ask. So the fifth tip is to lay the groundwork early. So what do I mean by this? Of course, we all know about procrastination. We all do it. We all leave things to the last minute. But This is contrary to what we know about creative work, that it takes time and we need to start early so that we can go through the necessary steps to get to the 
best part, that beautiful illustration that results in the end. Now, one of the reasons we procrastinate is that a, a creative project feels very big and overwhelming at first. We don't know what's going to happen or we know that once we dive in, it's going to be hard to get out. This is definitely the case for me. When I think about a big, scary project that I'm about to work on, like just case in point, I have a 32-page kids book that I'm going to be starting to illustrate in the next month. I know this project takes a lot of time and there's a lot of uncertainty in, in, in that. I'm not afraid to go into it because I know what my process is. I know what the first steps that I need to take are because I've done them before and I've named them. I also know that those first steps that I need to take are not even creative or problem solving oriented at all. They're just really simple things like open the email and read it again from the client, like open the client's email, read it again, make a folder for the project, gather all the resources and briefing materials that I've been given and put it in that folder. Start looking for reference images related to my subject and put them in that folder. So these are very simple steps that I know how to do to sort of step me into the deeper part of the creative process. And this is what I mean by groundwork. It's those early steps in the project that set you up for creative success later on. The key thing here is that you need to do these preliminary steps at the beginning so that when it comes time to start actually doing those harder parts later on when there is less time, you're up and running and things are going to be a lot smoother. It's important to acknowledge the fact that we don't just come up with ideas out of thin air. We need to spend time with our materials, with our sources first so that we can draw from that when it comes time to start coming up with ideas. Everything builds on smaller steps that we take early on. You know, in my photography experience that I recounted at the beginning of this episode, I would have done well to lay some groundwork myself, such as just getting myself up to speed in terms of what does it take to be an event photographer, right? If I'd laid a little bit of groundwork of understanding of what that role entailed, I would have been able to enter into that role a little bit more confidently or maybe even had the foresight to say, mm, you know, this is this really isn't a job for me. But again, hindsight is twenty twenty. More to my point here is that the creative process should start with some more basic tasks that are pretty easy to start because they're not highly creative or anything. With those out of the way, it gives you space to focus on the more creative, more difficult parts later on. Laying the groundwork early means doing some of the less glamorous, non-creative feeling stuff when there's time so you have more confidence and direction when you put your pencil to the paper later on. So the sixth tip here is to ask for more time when you need it. The reality of creative work is sometimes things just don't come together as we'd hoped. This is definitely one of the worst feelings, like if you're on a deadline and you were pretty sure that you'd have resolved things by now, you thought you'd be a lot further ahead than you actually are at this point, that feeling of like, oh crap, what am I going to do? You're, it's like this mix of like you're, you're under pressure from the deadline and you're also frustrated with yourself that you're not as far along as you thought you would be. 
this is just one of the most stressful feeling situations that I can imagine in this job. Now, the worst thing to do is to not do anything about it, just keep grinding away, and then at the deadline, either having nothing to show for it, or you show what you made, even though it's not that great, without explaining to your client what happened. Ask for more time while you have time. So even if it's a day before, but hopefully a couple days before, basically as soon as you see things not coming together and you feel like you might need more time, this is the best time to get in touch with your client and ask for a little bit of grace. There's almost always a bit more room in the schedule than they told you, and they're going to be happy to give you that extra day or so because they want the work to be good just like you do. They're the ones paying for it. They have skin in the game just like you, and they want to work with you to make that happen. They're going to give you more time if they have it. And like I said, they almost always do have more time. Now, not everyone's comfortable with asking for help, and I understand that. And maybe you're afraid that if you ask for for more time, it's going to make you look irresponsible or lazy or like you weren't working or something like that. But I think it's all in how you word it to your client. It's pretty simple. All you have to say is something like, hey, I've been working really hard on this. I thought I'd be a lot further ahead than I am right now, but things just aren't coming together. I feel like I'm just at the edge, but if I had maybe one more day, I think that I could get this to where I want it to be. Do you have any room in the schedule for me to maybe have an extra day here? Something like that, where it's honest and it shows that you're in it for them. You're not asking just because you've been lazy or something like that. You just want to do your best. I think your your client will understand that. And of course, they'll do anything they can to help out and get you to the finish line, even if it means moving the finish line a little bit later. Now, if I were a client receiving a request like this, of course, I'd be a little bit disappointed, especially if I've been excited to see the work. But I'd also be very glad that you communicated with me and you cared enough about the project, about your work, to tell me about this and to ask for more time. I would actually see you as being professional and confident that you know how your process works, like you know what you need and you aren't afraid to ask for it. Of course, the ideal scenario is that you meet your deadline that you set well ahead of time, but... Sometimes things just don't line up, and it's important just to call it if that's the way things are headed. So while you shouldn't get in the habit of asking for more time all the time, just know it's an option when you need it, or it usually is. So don't be afraid to ask for more time when you need it. Okay, so the seventh tip is to say no to projects when you don't have the time. So this is based on a situation that's probably both a blessing and a curse. So The good news is a lot of projects are coming to you and you actually just don't have time to take them all on. So I think we are afraid in these moments to say no to the next project that comes our way because we feel like if we say no to that, it's going to burn a bridge or maybe it's the last opportunity we'll get in a long time. Or maybe the project that comes to you while you're already busy is a much higher paying project than all your other ones that you're doing right now combined. And if you say no to this one, that's the last time you'll ever get a nice, big, juicy opportunity. And 
you'll be poor for the rest of your life. So there's a lot to unpack here. Let's just start with the fact that the creative process takes a long time and just doing one project at a time is hard enough. Usually we're juggling projects, especially if we're kind of well into our careers. We have two or three, maybe more going on at the same time. If we add just one more thing to our load, one more project to our load, it could break us. So first of all, if you have enough going right now and you're feeding yourself, don't feel pressured to take on that extra project that's just going to pull you under. But also, let's just say theoretically you can take on another project, but this next project just has a super aggressive timeline. Well, like I said earlier, don't take on projects that have timelines that are way too short for you. You know what you need in terms of time to get your job done. You know what your process takes. And if a project comes, even if it's a juicy opportunity, even if it pays well, if it's really going to compromise the quality of your work because it doesn't give you enough time to do your thing, then you should let that one go. Now, before you totally let a project like that go, especially if it's a nice, big, juicy opportunity, don't give up hope. Just like it's okay to ask for more time in a project, it's okay to ask this potential new client of yours if there's any wiggle room in the schedule. So that's one strategy for maybe being able to take on that extra project, just asking if you can uh, you know, make that deadline at some point later when you're more open. And the other situation is like, well, let me give you a scenario. So let's just say you're busy with three projects. Each project that you're working on right now is worth $1,000. And as it is, you're struggling to keep up. But then suddenly a new project comes in and they're offering you $15,000 and it's maybe a dream client. So maybe this is the one that you've been waiting for. This, of course, is a dream job, but you also know that if you take it on, you're going to struggle to do any of the projects that you already have on your plate, let alone this new one. So that's not a good situation. It's a recipe for stress for sure. But I would recommend first trying to salvage the situation. Maybe there's a possibility that you could do all of the things, but you just have to move things around a little bit. So first ask this new client because they came to you last, if it's possible to move things around. Maybe there's a way that they can move things that will accom accommodate your own schedule and you'll be able to finish your other projects and uh, then get cracking on this juicy opportunity after when things are clear and then you'll be able to focus and put your whole mind and heart into it that would be the ideal situation now if they're coming to you in a sort of rush situation they need things done now and that's why they're offering so much then of course you go to plan b which is to go to your current clients and see if there's any way they can move things around to accommodate this opportunity so i would recommend that if you have to go this route Definitely be honest and explain things to your current clients. It can be as simple as, you know, this really good opportunity came. It's kind of a dream job. If there's any way that you can work with me to make this possible for me, I would be so thankful. And of course, let them know at the same time that they are your priority no matter what. What you don't want to do is make them feel like second-class clients just because they have lower budgets. But as much as possible, you can be honest and tell them how excited you are about this opportunity and work with at least some of those clients, whoever's able to be flexible 
that's a possibility. I think as long as you are respectful and you do your best to communicate the situation without your clients feeling like second-class clients, then I think that's the way to go. But in the situation where no one's able to move anything and you are tempted to choose between ditching your current clients or sticking with them and sacrificing this bigger, juicier opportunity, the important thing here is to be ethical. Make good on the commitments that you have because you as a business have a reputation. You as an illustrator have a, have a reputation and you don't want to be burning bridges down at any stage of your career. It's okay to let this opportunity go if it simply isn't going to work. So the big fear in a situation like this or anytime you have to say no to, no to a project is that if you say no to it, it's basically closing the door to all kinds of possible opportunities in the future. And this is definitely false. The fact that jobs are coming to you means that more jobs are probably coming to you. This mindset that this is the only time I'll ever get such an opportunity is just not true. And this is just as true about these bigger projects that come that just won't work out as it is for the smaller ones. Now, the truth is that exact opportunity might never come to you again. That's true. But if one big juicy opportunity is coming your way, more will come. Don't fear missing out and don't fear shutting doors. This is mostly in your head. And either way, it's better to have time to focus on doing your best with what's on your plate. Setting up a good habit of saying no for your own mental health and to be an ethical, respectful business to your clients, this is all going to pay off in the long run. So our eighth tip is just get the work done. The truth is that we're going to feel stress at some point in most of the projects we're doing and time will get away from us and we're going to have to just focus and get her done. If you're at all like me, you're going to be able to channel some of that anxious energy, some of that stressful feeling into productivity. That's why a lot of us procrastinate because we know that when push comes to shove, when we're under the gun, it focuses us. It makes us focus enough to actually do the work in the first place. Now, I don't recommend doing that all the time because that is how we accumulate stress over time and eventually burn out. But my point here, just to start, is that we're going to feel stressed out on the job often. And the second point here is when there's really nothing else we can do and there's a deadline looming, we can freak out and run around and say the sky is falling, or we can get to work and start trying to solve the problem. The only answer in such a situation is to channel that energy into productivity and get the work done. Now, personally, from the moment I say yes to a job, I'm going to feel a little bit of stress and anxiety until I finish that job. It's like this undone thing that's nagging me in my mind until I get to cross it off. Again, the only way to alleviate that stress is to actually cross it off my list and to be working on it. Now, maybe you're not the kind of person who gets motivated by stress in this way. And in fact, such pressure is going to make you feel paralyzed. I've definitely been there and not all of us are wired the same way. So in that kind of scenario, maybe the best option is to take a little bit of time away from the job, maybe go for a walk or a run or sleep on it if you're able to. 
and take some healthy distance from it and then come back to it with a fresh mind the next day. You'd be surprised at how often I get so tangled up in a job and I don't know what I'm doing and I, I feel like I'm never going to crack it and I leave for an hour or I, or I sleep on it, I come back and everything just makes sense. It's like I'm a totally different person and I'm seeing things from a different perspective and everything comes together right away. Or sometimes if I step away and I do something totally different, like have a shower or go for a run, suddenly my mind is kind of just working on it automatically and a, a solution kind of just appears. And so that's definitely one strategy kind of under this is like, as you're trying to get the work done, if you're feeling paralyzed and super stuck and you can't actually work through that stress, you can take a step back and the problem may sort of resolve itself because it just needed that space. But I just mentioned this idea of having a task nagging in my head at needing to be crossed off my list. Well, if the only thing on my big to-do list is just this big, massive project that I have to get done, that's too big for a to-do list item. But imagine turning your illustration process into a to-do list that you can check off stage by stage. If you can think about the creative process like that, then you're getting the job done one stage at a time. It's not just about getting the whole job done in one fell swoop because that rarely happens. You can have those little moments of stress relief every time you cross off just doing one task, one part of the illustration project that you needed to do. Kind of like what I was talking about in laying the groundwork in the previous tip. So break your jobs up into steps by having predictable creative processes. And every time you get one of those milestones done, you can feel that sense of accomplishment and therefore a little bit of relief as the load gets a little bit lighter. So I don't want to just assume that it's enough to be told to get the job done. And like I've already kind of alluded to, we can get paralyzed with stress to the point where we can't get the job done no matter how hard we try. And I totally get that. You know, sometimes we're so stuck in a project and we're spinning our tires so much that all we feel is a fog of anxiety, I mean, to say the least. And in these cases, I find the best way to deal with it is to get it out either on paper or in words. So you can write about it or you can talk it out with a friend or a partner or a spouse. By doing this, by talking things through, we begin to name specific ways in which we're struggling. And once we name those things, we can start to problem solve them more directly. You know, depending on who your client is, you can even talk about the issue with them, especially if you're working with an art director, you know, if you're working for a magazine and you're creating uh, an editorial illustration, you are both on the creative team. They're on your side and they're going to do what they can to help get you through. And there's no one better than a fellow creative to talk through a creative struggle. Now it can be humbling to do that. And I've had to do that a couple times just this year alone on a couple of editorial assignments. And so it's not my favorite thing to do, but definitely by doing it, I was able to work out some of the things that I was getting stuck on. And to be honest, I didn't get the sense that my art directors were upset. I think they actually like being involved in the creative process and feeling like they can actually help. 
So I want you to take away from this point that there's more to just getting the work done than brute force. Sometimes brute force is enough. If we're under enough pressure, we can focus enough and we just push it out and it's done. And as long as we don't do that too often, it's not going to accumulate and burn us out. Sometimes the best way to alleviate stress is to work through it as much as possible. But the wider view here is that our job is to get the work done by whatever means possible. So whether that means just squeezing it out under intense pressure or maybe coming to our clients, asking for more time, talking about our problems with uh, someone close to us or even hashing things out with our art director. All of these things are us putting in the effort and caring enough about the work and that's not a bad thing. I just want to step back even wider though and acknowledge the fact that even though deadlines are super important, they're not nearly as important as they feel in the moment. Ultimately, the most important thing is your mental health and making sure that you communicate that with your client. They are counting on you, but they're not your enemy. So if you can go to them and explain to them what's going on, if it's just not coming together, that's better than just, say, go see them all together or just continuing to miss deadlines, saying you promise it again and again, but never really following through with that. That actually will make you more stressed out. It's going to stress out your client. So I definitely don't recommend that. So yeah, sometimes it does take everything we've got to finish a project. And in the worst cases, when we're super stressed out, it really sucks. I, I don't know if there's any way to avoid it all the time. But one of the things that will tend to stress us out more than anything else is our own perfectionism and our own self-doubt. And knowing that, we can kind of step back and say, okay, what are the objectives of this illustration or project? What were the things that it was supposed to do? Can I tick those off in boxes based on what was set out in the brief? And if so, then I'm done. Even though the project isn't exactly how I wanted it to turn out, it doesn't look amazing, it's not my favorite. As long as I know that it checks off those boxes and that I've done my best with what I had, whether that was my energy or my creativity or whatever, I can feel confident about sending that work to the client. What I'm getting at here is that I let some projects be just okay and I accept that they won't be my favorite ever. So sometimes it's going to take us everything we've got to finish a project. And in the worst case scenarios, it's going to hurt. It's going to suck and it's going to be stressful. Now, I'm hoping that the tips that I'm giving you today will help you either avoid that stress in the first place or help relieve some of the pressure while you're in it. But I also want you to know that, at least if you're anything like me, one of the things that will get in your way more than anything and stress you out is you might have expectations that are way beyond what the client's expecting of you in terms of notions of creativity or looking cool or something like that. In those kinds of cases, what you can do is Look back at the brief and list out what the goals of that brief are, and then go through your work and make sure that it ticks the boxes. It's not just whether your art is good, whatever that means. It's whether the art works. And we talked about this in a previous episode, but that is far more important for an illustrator churning out projects all the time because they're not all going to be winners. 
They just at least have to be workers. Like they say, better done than perfect. So wrapping it up here, where it comes to stress in our creative work, it gets better with experience. I can promise you that, you know, as we gain experience, we learn to just expect stress, which in itself reduces the impact of that stress. And we can also see stressful moments or events or situations from a mile away and we can avoid them or we can prepare for them so that when we meet it, we can take it on. We can also say, I've been there before. I've been through it. I'm going to get to the other side just like I always have. But on our way to that confidence, there's just no substitute for putting in the time and growing through hard work. And very often, we have to grow through hard times. Lastly, no matter what happens, no matter how stressful things are, no matter how much you think you're failing, remember not to be so hard on yourself. We can be our own worst enemies. Be gracious with yourself. You're going to go through hard times, but you're going to get through it. You're going to get to the end, and it's going to be all right. My name is Mr. Tom Froze, and those were my thoughts on illustration. You can find links to all my things at tomfroze.com, including my Patreon, my work, my Skillshare classes, and more. Remember to rate, review, like, follow, tell your friends, and all those lovely things. I'll see you in the next one. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Mark Allen Falk. You can find links to his music in the show notes or go directly to his link tree at linktree slash semi-athletic.